You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Um. We've spent the last few weeks talking about prayer that transcends, that gets us above you know, the prayer lists and above the ordinary prayers we mostly pray you know, for what we need and for people who are sick and for things we, we need and don't like and, don't, and things, we don't want, you know, things we want God to change. And we're learning how to pray for just bigger than the moment. That's what we've been learning to pray for. So we began with Mark Freitag's really good message on how to pray when prayer isn't your first language. And we acknowledge that a lot of the models we've been, we've been taught for prayer are corporate models, like what we just did. Where, um, and we acknowledge that those models have, have, have not taught us how to pray personal prayers, how to pray your heart. So we talked about how to pray our hearts. And then week two, we talked about the kind of intercession that prays the heart of God, that, that prays um, heaven down to earth, the kind that goes deeper than our wish list. And that was the one, that was the lesson about praying popsicle prayers. Do you remember that one? And um, so we, popsicle prayers are the kind of prayers we pray when we come in already knowing what we want. We're like that two-year-old hanging from the refrigerator begging for popsicles that do not exist inside the freezer, but we are still begging for a popsicle. And we are oblivious to what is possible, what's even good for us, and pushing and pulling at the same time for some of us, there's a design flaw in our prayer strategy. And, and then we don't understand why God won't or can't, because of how we come, give us what we're asking for. So we learn that there's a need for our prayers to mature so we can cooperate with what God is doing in the world and in us. And then week three, we talked about spiritual warfare praying. And that was the Sunday Susan blew the shofar for us. And you remember that was a powerful moment, sort of cut through the, um, it cut through the atmosphere that Sunday. And um, the word shofar literally means to cut into. In the Old Testament story of God especially, the shofar was an important instrument, so much more than just a horn. The sound of the shofar is the sound of cutting through the crazy. Do you remember we talked about that, about getting to the heart of what hurts when the people of Israel went out against the enemy? That's the sound that went out before them. It was the sound of the shofar. It was in their battle cry. It was people taking firm, confident hold of the very heart of their situation. And our battle cry that Sunday, do you remember, was, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, unhook us from the crazy. <laughs> do you remember? Then two Sundays ago, we talked about healing prayer. And that was a beautiful Sunday. We, we became healers for each other. We took those little um, vials of healing oil and we walked around the room and we prayed for each other. And, and we remembered who we are as a church, a, a place where people can come into the church bearing their thorns 
and can openly, honestly express their wounds and seek healing where, where people who are broken are not condemned or outsourced but embraced and healed by the body of Christ. Being that kind of community, we get it. Under, it means we have to have patience for each other with broken people and it means we have to hold faith while broken people are waiting for their healing moment. And it also means we can be a place where the power of God is trusted. We asked a powerful question that Sunday. What would it take to bring you to your knees before Jesus? And if he was standing before you right now, what would you ask for? And then last week, Mike Barr walked us through an apostolic prayer of Paul over the church in Philippi. This is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more. And Mike taught us how to listen for the blessing of God and to pray the possibilities, not the problem. And I love this line from his message. Jesus doesn't have any death in him to offer you. You should write this down if you didn't write it down last week. Jesus doesn't have any death in him to offer you. That's a good one. He has no fear, no worry, no shame, no death to offer you, just blessing. So all these lessons in prayer are about getting us above the cloud line, above the more typical laundry list prayers of shallow faith to the place where we are participating more deeply in what God is doing around the world, in the world, and in us. And so today, we're gonna finish by listening to Jesus pray, not not him teaching us how to pray, but listening in on, on Jesus praying into the mind of God. This is, this is a prayer in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, so if you've got your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 17. It's a prayer that God the Son prays into God the Father before he is crucified. It is the heart of God praying into the mind of God, the embodied God praying into the eternal. I want you to let that blow your mind. <laughs> and it's sort of like a, a state of the union prayer delivered from the Son to the Father or like a debrief at the end of a mission. Here's what I have done, and here's what I need you to do. And, and do you know what Jesus' major concern is in this prayer? It isn't the suffering he's about to go through, even though he is about to go through the ultimate suffering, and it isn't the disappointment of complete abandonment. It isn't the failed experiment of earth. None of those things. When the embodied God prays into the eternal, into the mind of God. He talks about God's glory and his desire to, to honor the glory of God and to protect it. I mean, think about that for a minute. That is, that is the highest priority of Jesus as he begins his prayer. He wants to honor and protect the glory of God. Jesus cares about God's glory. And then he talks about our faith, the faith of people who believe in him, and he has a desire to honor and protect our faith. And he talks about the purpose of the sanctified life, which is to serve the world, but really more than that, the sanctified life leads to the fullness of joy, so that's his real aim. And then he talks about spiritual communion, so glory, faith, joy, communion. 
That's what's on the mind of Christ when he speaks into the eternal mind of God. When he's about to go to the cross. So if, you, if you've turned to John chapter 17, if you wanna just put some headings in the margins of your Bible, you can do that. John chapter 17, around verses one through six, just write in the margins, glory, or one through five. And then six, somewhere in the margins between six and, and, and 12, just write in the margins, face. And then somewhere in the margins between 13 and 19, write in the margins, joy. And then somewhere in the margins between 20 and 26, just write uh, spiritual communion or just communion. I wanna read, I wanna start with verses one through five. Jesus looked toward heaven and he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that, it's, it's, the word is that in the NIV, I want you to circle the word that and maybe just draw a line and over in the margin, write so that, because most of the that's in, verse, in chapter 17 mean so that, in order that. Not all of them, but most of them. And I, I'm gonna come back to that in a minute, but um, I'm gonna use the word so that whenever it happens that way so you'll catch it. Um, because it, it's a purpose statement. He's, he's telling you the reason why he's saying it. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people so that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So when Jesus prays, his first priority is the glory of God and the gospel. So he asks God to make him effective. He says, glorify me so that you can be glorified. And what we know is that the path from to, to, to glory for Jesus runs through the cross, so he's praying that the cross will be God's glory. And the little word that opens up the whole prayer is that word, that, especially the ones that mean so that. Listen for it. The, the Father, the hour has come, glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people so that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. There's a bunch of these so that's in this prayer. I count 10 of them. Somebody else has counted 18, but I just count 10, but I can't find all the where's Waldos either. So there's probably 18, who knows. But but, but the point is, they show us that Jesus knows his why. When Jesus is praying for things, he knows his why. When he prays, he understands his purpose and is always in line with kingdom purposes. Jesus prays for people to have eternal life. But listen, even when Jesus is praying for eternal life, it's important for him to say that eternal life, which is what he was sent to open up for all of us, is not there 
just so we can have life after death, just so we can keep living and breathing. Eternal life for Jesus is about communion. It's about the knowing, about a passionate and intimate relationship with the author of life. It's a relationship that never has to end because God doesn't want it to end. Listen, Jesus wants us to have eternal life because Jesus wants us to be with him. And he makes that really plain at the end of this prayer, verse 24. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. (laughs) I love that. Isn't that just stunning and beautiful? Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. I feel that prayer as deeply as I can feel any prayer in the Bible. In the last 18 months, I have felt that prayer so deeply. In the time that we weren't meeting together as a pastor, I gotta tell you, I wanted you to be with me where I am so bad. Every single empty chair in this place, I have a name that goes with it. I want them to be with me where I am so bad. And of course, I have a grown daughter and a son-in-law and a granddaughter I love very deeply and the mature side of me knows that it's important for them to live their lives, but I have to tell you, there's a tiny little piece of me that would be just fine if they called me and said their house has been repoed, they've lost their jobs and they have to move home tomorrow. I'd be fine with that, just a tiny piece of me because I want them to be with me where I am so bad. Moms and dads, you get that, right? People who are longing for somebody, you get that, right? I want them to be with me where I am so bad. I want you to hear that when Jesus wants you saved, that when Jesus wants you not to be in hell, it's not because he's trying to condemn you. It's not because he's trying, but it's not because he's trying to, he's waiting for you to trip up. He's not just trying to keep you from the fiery pit. It's because he wants you to be with him so bad. Jesus wants you saved because Jesus wants to be with you. Set that next to your feelings of unworthiness and see how well they survive next to that. So then Jesus goes on to pray for the state of our faith, the faith of his followers, because our faith is the link to eternal life. Look at verse six. I have revealed those, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty, blessed assurance, that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I pray for them. 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain, do you, do you hear that? You who believe in Jesus, you are the glory of God. <laughs> I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. What an amazing thought that Jesus prayed over the issue of your faith. He was praying first for the ones who were with him in the flesh as his disciples, but in verse 20, he tells us he's praying not only for them, but for anyone who believes in him through their message. So if there's anyone in here who believed in Jesus through the message of those first apostles, that means he prayed for you while he was in the flesh, walking on earth. He prayed for you, Chuck, and the quality of your faith. He prayed for you, Beth. He prayed for you, Jane. He prayed for you, Faith. He prayed for you, Mark. Before he left this earth, Jesus looked up to heaven, John tells us, and he prayed for us. He prayed a real prayer that he might be just as close, that you might be just as close to God as he was, that you would know that he came from God, was sent here for your benefit, that you would know that God loves you every bit as much as he loved Jesus himself. Not the head knowledge knowing, but the deeper knowing that comes from the personal encounter. Jesus prayed for you. While he was on earth, Jesus prayed a prayer for your faith that can be answered today if you choose to live into it. You can stand up from here today and walk in the confidence that that prayer can be answered, has been answered. You walk in faith. And when I feel spiritually anemic, I can come to this passage and remind myself, Jesus has already prayed for me, has already interceded on my behalf, so I can be one with the Father as he is one with the Father. I can have that kind of relationship because Jesus has already prayed for it. He's already prayed for it. And it's the kind of scripture passage that I can turn into prayer. So I invite you right now, close your eyes, bow your head right now. Let's pray this passage together. You, you just pray this. I'll pray it out loud. You pray it in your spirit. Lord, my prayer is that I will be one with you. That just as you are one with Christ, that just as you are in Christ and he is in you, so I will be in you and will believe that you sent Jesus Christ and that you love me as much as you loved him. And if you believe it, say amen.
Amen. Friends, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God who lives and reigns with God forever is praying for you. That is his job right now. It was his work when he was on earth and it is his work in heaven. Jesus is praying for your faith, for your salvation, for transformation in your life, even if you're not ready to accept it yet. So Jesus prayed for God's glory. He he wanted to protect it and magnify it. He prayed for your faith. And then he prayed that the fullness of his joy might be yours. Look at verse 13. My prayer is not for them alone. Nope, sorry, 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy so that all of this is so that they might have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself so that they may be truly sanctified. The so that of this section is, that, is so that they may have the full measure of Jesus' joy within them. He wants his followers to be sanctified and sent out. But his purpose is that as we partner with him in the work of God's kingdom, we will find the joy of Jesus. So Jesus isn't looking for employees. (laughs) He's really looking for people full of joy. You hear me? He's not looking for slaves. He's looking for people full of joy. I no longer call you slaves or servants, I call you friends. I'm looking for people who are ready to be filled with the fullness of my joy. That they may have the full measure of my joy within them. This is the prayer Jesus prayed for you. So how are you appropriating that prayer? How are you receiving it? That's his purpose for your life. Glory, faith, joy, and then communion. Listen to this, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, for everybody in this room, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. That all of you may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. I want you to remember that phrase, complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. That's my, that's my prayer. <laughs> Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, 
the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Complete unity, John calls it. But we have to be careful how we define unity from a biblical perspective. It is spiritual communion, which is so much more, much deeper than agreement on issues. In fact, it's something different completely. So I wanna do a little church history so we can understand why spiritual communion matters. So let's go back all the way to the beginning. For the first thousand years, the Christian church was one church. There were plenty of disagreements among followers, but somehow the church was able to remain basically unified from the time of Christ until the year 1054. Up to that point, there was one church with two centers of authority, the church in Rome and the church in Constantinople. Rome was where the Papa, or the Pope, lived, and Constantinople was where the Emperor lived. So it had a sort of secondary authority until 1054. And that's when the church in Rome excommunicated the church in Constantinople over three words in the Nicene Creed, three words that they thought were necessary in order to honor the nature of the Trinity, three words. And the church in Constantinople excommunicated them back. <laughs> you can't fire me, I quit. So the church split. And the church in Constantinople became the Greek Orthodox Church and the church in Rome became the Roman Catholic Church. So that first split hung on the nature of the Trinity or the triunity. I want you to remember that. The second major split hung on the nature of spiritual uh, communion. Now there were lots of other things underneath this, but I'll tell you, it was the nature of spiritual communion that really, that really divides the church the unity of the church, and the real presence of Christ in the, in the Eucharist. Roman Catholics believe that the body and blood that we offer in the Eucharist or communion become the actual body and blood of Christ. Not, not physically so we taste it, but in a, in a mystical, um, spiritual, but real way, Catholics believe that the, the bread becomes his body, the wine becomes his blood, and, and Catholics would say that when all Christians believe that, we will achieve unity. That's the issue on which the Protestant Reformation hung. Other things led to it, but that's the issue. That's where the rubber hit the road. Peter Kreeft who wrote Jesus Shock said that issue had Protestants and Catholics calling each other not just heretics but devils. <laughs> 
And of course, Jesus said hard things about this that make it hard to understand. He said things like, John chapter six, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. And that had to shock anybody who lived within earshot of that word. I mean, it had to shock people, right? When Jesus said that, that that when they take this bread or drink this wine, my goodness, that they were receiving the very flesh and blood of Jesus. For, for, for them, it's about his great desire, for, for Catholics, it's about the great desire to be our food, our nourishment, our everything. I get that. For us as Protestants, we would say, Jesus used shocking language to make a very serious point that real life is in Jesus. He says, John chapter three, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. So these elements, when taken as spiritual food, nourish us spiritually, these elements are not the real body of Christ, but somehow they, be- they empower us to become the real body of Christ. They're like a prayer for us. They usher in the presence of Christ and they, they offer us a prayer that cannot be spoken with words. This is a prayer that transcends and that's the essence of sacrament. It's, it's a It's a communion, a spiritual communion with God that they might be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought into complete unity. So at this table is my prayer partner. And these elements are an embodied prayer, glory, faith, joy, communion. They are our prayer that we might be one with him and one with each other. They are our prayer and our plea for Jesus himself to come and eat with us. And in these elements is everything I need. Glory, faith, joy, communion. And at this table, I have an invitation to confess to Christ himself everything that keeps me from glory, joy, faith, communion. Everyone is welcome at this table. Everyone. Everyone is wanted here. Father, I want everyone you've given me to be with me where I am. Jesus said, 
when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. They can't repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. I feel that line. I want you to feel that line. You can't do this from a distance. You can't do this virtually. Ours is an embodied faith. And I'm going to spend more time talking about that starting, not next week, that's when Lowe's here, but the week after that. We're going to talk more about spiritual communion and the embodied faith in a series that I'm calling Common People. It's a look at the common life of those who follow Jesus. What do we share in common? What matters? Father, I want those You've given me to be with me where I am. And we'll talk about this table, which is the table, you know, the table with a capital T. But also about our tables with a small t. And about our need to be in each other's lives. And on November 7th, I want you to put this on your calendar now. On November 7th, here's what I want to do. I want to live this table, this table, all the way out into our homes and to our tables. And here's how I envision it happening. Between now and November 7th, you're going to sign up to have lunch. Not, not dinner, not or supper, or whatever we all call it. That's the thing. We've had to figure out how to say it so you know you're going straight from here to lunch, to the, th to the meal that happens right after church. Uh, to a host home, huh? It's dinner. <laughs> Mexican. Okay, it's Mexican. Okay. <laughs> You're going to lunch right after church to a host home or to a venue that we're going to arrange for you. We'll have a list of places. There's going to be 10 or 12 of them that you can choose from. And we'll have that list for you probably by next week. So you can start to choose and so that we can begin to prepare. Some of our folks have already begun to say, yes, I'll be a host home. And some of those homes will be potluck and some of those homes will have a meal prepared for you. And, um, and, and, and if you want your home to be a home, you need to let me know right after church today so we can make sure you're on the list. And on November 7th, we're going to have uh, worship just like we always do. And we'll end with communion just like we're going to do today. And we'll set the big tea table. We'll have high holy communion. And we'll remember the work of Jesus and we'll gather around this sacrament. And then you'll leave here on November 7th and you'll go directly to the place you've signed up for to lunch. And you and a few others, maybe six or eight people at each home, will gather around a small tea table where you will share in the second half of communion. You will be the body of Christ. You will share in the joy of Jesus together. No agenda other than the joy of Jesus. Spiritual communion. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am.
That was the prayer of Jesus, the hunger of Jesus. And that's my hunger too. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. So right now we're going to share in communion. You've got a little cup. If you don't have it yet, if you didn't get your cup, if you would raise your hand, somebody will bring you a cup. And I want you to go ahead and do the thing you have to do. Pull off, if you've never used one before, you pull the little clear part first. Pull the clear part first so you can get the wafer off. And then you pull the foil part. There's nothing about these cups that says spiritual unity, but it's the best we've got right now. And after you've done that, I want you to hold on to it. I just want you to hold on to it. And I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Some of you are going to go ahead and sit back down. I don't know. Some of you are going to come and kneel. Some of you are going to use your chair as an altar. What I want you to do is find that place that is passionate, not passive. And we're going to take some time to pray. After the pattern of Jesus, before we take communion, okay? But while we're holding it, we're going to pray glory, faith, joy, communion. So if you want to come and kneel, come and kneel now. If you want to make your chair into an altar, you can do that. If you want to sit, you can do that. And I want to invite you to consider first, is the glory of God your highest aim? The prayer is, Lord, make me effective so my life brings glory to you. I want my life to protect your glory. I want my, my witness to guard your glory. I don't want anything in me to in any way confuse the issue of your glory. Make that prayer. then I want you to pray for the quality of your own faith. And Jesus said, if, if, if two of us agree on earth about anything, it's done in heaven. And we know that Jesus has already prayed for the quality of your faith. And so if you agree with Jesus, it's done. It's done. So would you pray for the quality of your faith? Pray that Jesus and you together could agree that your faith would explode 
that your faith would today go to the next level, that you would be able to get up from this place and walk in faith. No more fear, no more shame, no more guilt, no more questioning, no more confusion, just walking in faith. Now I want to invite you to pray for joy. He said that that he came that the fullness of his joy might be in you. And and he said that the joy comes, it's, it's like a process. Sanctification leads you into the world. Not not so you can be of the world, but in it, serving the cause of Christ in the world, and that that would bring you joy. So so pray that you would know the fullness of his joy, that 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 process would lead you all the way through to joy, that you don't get stuck somewhere back in in legalism or in the idea of being a slave, but that you would get all the way through to the place where you're, you're experiencing joy. You've not been brought here into this earth to be a mercenary for Jesus or to be a slave for Jesus to be a legalist or a lawyer for Jesus. He calls you friend. Pray for the blessing of joy in your life. And he prayed that we might experience spiritual communion. And so this prayer is that you might ask the Holy Spirit to examine your life. Search me and know me. See if there's anything in me, anything in me that does not lead to eternal life, God. Is there anything, God, that is keeping me from unity with you, from communion? Am I harboring resentments? Am I not pure all the way through? 
Am I not honest even with myself in some places? Not honest with you? Are there places I need to confess before I receive these elements? I want to be in communion. Jesus. Thank you. We want to be where you are. Thank you. On the night Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread and he broke it. He gave thanks to his Father in heaven for the privilege and the joy. He gave it to his friends and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you and as often as you eat from this loaf, remember me. After supper he took the cup he gave thanks to his father for it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink from this cup, remember me. So Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the mystery of the faith. We thank you, God, that in a way that we do not understand, these elements help us to embody you. And, we are, and they make us hungry to be the body of Christ. We thank you for what we understand and we thank you for what we cannot possibly understand. That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit over these gifts and make them be for us the very body of Christ that we might be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Make us one with your purposes for this world and one with each other. Until that day when Christ comes in his final glory and we feast at your heavenly banquet table. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, with your Holy Spirit and your holy church. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.